playing our part in God's great plan. From before the foundations of the world, God had a plan for your life and for my life. If we're saved in the meeting this morning, we can say with confidence then, resting upon God's truth that he chose me and he's redeemed me and he's called me by my name and I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me and we have become his personal possession. In fact, the Bible goes further than that and it says that we to the Lord Jesus, are a special people. We are an an holy nation before him, a royal priesthood, and yes, a peculiar people. From before the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus placed his eternal affection upon you and I if we know him this morning as our own and personal saviour. And he did far more than that. He wrote our names in God's Lamb's book of life. Isn't it wonderful this morning to know that beyond shadow of a doubt, we've been redeemed. And it wasn't because we deserved redemption or we could earn redemption or or merit redemption. No, it was all because of his love. It was because of his mercy. And it was because of his grace. In fact, to the contrary, left to ourselves, we would have had no thoughts towards the God of heaven. And we would have been most least deserving of any of his mercies. Yet it was the unmerited favor of God that was freely given to you and I in his sovereign purpose when he placed his electing love upon us. We can say this afternoon that it's a mystery of history why he should ever have placed our names in the Lamb's book of life. And perhaps one day, one day when we get to the celestial city, perhaps one day we'll see the reason behind it all. Why he settled the matter in placing his love upon your life and mine. And sending forth his Son to bear our sins in his own body on the tree. But you know, he did far more than that. Because the Bible says that he took our sins and he buried them behind his back in the sea of his forgetfulness. Every secret sin that you and I have ever performed, every subtle sin which we think we have, have gotten away with. Friends, every scarlet sin that was a, a blaze for all the world to see, 
with every scandalous sin. The Bible says he nailed them to his cross. And he redeemed us. And then to our shame, the Lord Jesus went all the way to Calvary. And there he suffered and he bled and he died for my sin and for yours. The Bible says that he, he bore the wrath of God on behalf of you and on behalf of me. Him writer, I suppose, coined it well when he said that mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me, and there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Friends, I think I know perhaps what you may have been thinking when I announced Acts chapter 9. I'm sure that it would have come into your mind, this is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. That's what, that's what Phil's going to deal with today, how, how this enemy of God and stranger to God was moved by the grace of God and transformed and blessed of God. But you know, I don't want to deal with the salvation and conversion of the Apostle Paul this morning. I want us to look at an individual by the name of Ananias that we read of. An individual who was instrumental in playing just a small part in God's great plan for this world. Do you know behind every man, every good man of God, every good woman of God, behind every pastor, And behind every missionary or even youth leader, there is perhaps an individual or individuals who have been instrumental in oiling the wheels of folks that God is going to take and God is going to use. Individuals who become a great influence or a great source of encouragement to those that God will be pleased to use and bless. Individual who God uses to oil the wheels of our walk with the Lord and have become the the means of setting a lot of things in motion in our lives. I'm sure we can all look back to individuals who had an influence upon us in the past. I look across my own life and I see individuals who were a great source of blessing to me. Oh, perhaps they were not foremost, you know, in the work of God. Perhaps they never held office within the church. They were never going to be the next George Whitfield or C.H. Spurgeon or J.C. Ryle. Their lot in life was simply to bear testimony of the one who loved them 
and gave himself for them. They were nothing more and and nothing less than faithful pilgrims and faithful Christians who had their eye on the celestial city and pressed towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. What an influence. What a source of encouragement and blessing they were to the church of Jesus Christ. Recall one man in in Liverpool when I was just a a young fella. His name was Albert Woolsey. Albert was an old man. But Albert was on our church management committee. And Albert would come along to the committee meetings. Nine times out of ten, Albert wouldn't say a word in those committee meetings. Very withdrawn man. A very humble man. He may, have, he may have seconded a proposal now and again. And yet unbeknownst to him, I remember seeing him one day in the city of Liverpool. I was out in the main street. It was called Church Street. It's the busiest place in the city. And there's, there's shops each side of the footpath. Remember seeing Albert in the distance, and I spotted him, but he didn't spot me. We were about 20 yards from each other, and as we got closer, I I thought, well, I'll stop and I'll I'll have a chat to him. Then all of a sudden, like a bolt of lightning, Albert noticed that there was a vacant seat on a park bench, and he went over to the vacant seat that somebody had just risen from and, and walked away, And Albert simply put a gospel tract on the seat. There was a man and a woman each side of the vacant space. And Albert never said a word. He just just moved and walked on. And the folks were sitting there and they watched as, as Albert walked away. And then they looked down at the gospel tract... And one man said something to the woman who was across the way. And next thing is, the man picked the leaflet up and he began to read the Scriptures. What a faithful witness that was. To this day, Albert, who's in the glory, doesn't know that I was observing it all the time. I wonder how many, how many folks had been challenged by just lifting a gospel tract that someone silently placed before them and then moved on. He was just working away, doing what little he could for the Lord. And only eternity itself will show the fruits of this man's labor. A true child of God doesn't look for the acclamation and applause of this world. Such such acclamation has no bearing upon the life of the true Christian. But the true believer just simply wants to serve the Lord with not less than his all. Ananias, in this portion that we read together, though perhaps of low status within the church at Damascus, 
was to become a mighty instrument in oiling the wheels of the Apostle Paul's life. I suppose it didn't ever occur to him of the significant role that he would play in the tapestry of God's plan for this entire world. Through the obedience and faithfulness of this one individual, millions upon millions would be reached with the glorious good news of the gospel through the writings and through the life of the great apostle. Ananias was to be like that stone that is thrown into a silent and secluded lake, the ripples of which would go out to the perimeter of that lake. But you know he was part of God's great and wonderful plan. And perhaps at the time he didn't fully appreciate it and perhaps he didn't even know that he was part of this great plan. This morning in the closing comments of the meeting, I just want us to consider a few very, very simple thoughts as we walk through these verses together. Look at verse 10. For here we see the introduction of God's servant. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. You know, it, it may surprise you that there's only ten verses in Scripture that are given over really to this individual. We don't know a lot about him. We don't know about his family background. We don't know about his age. We don't know if he, he was married, if he had children. The Bible makes no comment about his occupation. In fact, there's just ten brief verses in Scripture. He's not a pastor. He's not a missionary within the church. As far as we know it, he's not a leader. He's just a simple sinner saved by grace. Folks, he's just like you and he's just like me. Just a five-eighths ordinary born-again believer. But the Bible says he was a disciple. He knew and he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet and with all, he was to play a part in the divine drama that now unfolds in Acts chapter 9. You see, he was living near enough to the Lord to hear the Lord's voice. So when the, when the Lord whispered through that vision in verse 10, Ananias, folks, he was living near enough to the cross to hear the voice of the Lord in his life. I wonder, could that be said of you and me? I wonder, could we discern the voice of the Lord in our life? I wonder, 
Are we living our life so close to the cross that we would be able to discern the promptings of the Spirit of God in our life? Are our lives being moved by the Lord? Wonder do we have this intimate relationship that Ananias appeared to have with the God of heaven. It seems as though he, he stepped out in this portion of Scripture onto the stage of human existence from behind the, the curtain of history just to play his part in ten verses. Note also that God only had to, to whisper his name. We often note in Scripture that God, in order to gain the attention of so many of his people, has to, to call out their name, not on one occasion, but two occasions. We read in this very chapter, in, in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why persecute us? Thou may. The second soul emphasizes that God wants to, to catch Saul's attention. In the book of Luke, in chapter 10, verse 41, we read, Martha, Martha, the Lord Jesus said, Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Luke's Gospel again, chapter 23 and, and verse 41. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. In First Samuel, we have the recollection when the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. But he never had to call Ananias twice. Because Ananias was living in the light as he was in the light. He could recognize his voice because he was tuned in to the will of God. I wonder can we find our place in God's great plan. As we continue our pilgrimage through this old world in which we live, or have we become complacent? Have we become immune to the promptings of the Spirit of God in our life? Do we live our life looking for that door of opportunity, for that conversation which we can open up in order to express the love of God to this sinful, poor, benighted, sin-cursed sin world? Or have we got ourselves into a rut as believers? And does silence now saturate our souls because we're living at a distance from God? Look here at the, the introduction provided in verse 10. There was no flashing lights for Ananias. Look at the instruction given in verse 11. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go. 
I wonder, can you see God's purpose here? Friends, can you see God's plan beginning to unfold? He calls out to a child of God who's living near enough to him to hear his voice. And then he directs that child of God, arise and go. You know, it was no chance meeting with Saul on that Damascus road. The conversion of Saul and the call of Ananias was part of God's great plan. The Lord knew exactly where Saul was. Look what it says uh, as we read down through, through the chapter. It says in verse 11, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. The Lord knew the name of the street. And inquire in the house of Judas. He knew whose name was on the title deeds of the house. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul. He knew that Saul was in there. Saul of Tarsus, he knew where Saul had come from. For behold, he prayeth. He knew what Saul was doing. It was not the job of Ananias to try and figure out the mind of God here. But rather just to discover that, listen, I'm part of God's plan here. I just need to play my part. And that's your task and my task in this life. It's not to question the promptings of the Spirit in our life. It's simply to follow and to fulfill God's plan. Speaking on Thursday night in our midweek prayer meeting and Bible study, we were talking about the will of God and how can we know the will of God? And, and some people get so anxious about how do we know that we are in the center of the will of God. And we simply told our people it's just one step at a time. The Lord will not show you or I step two, three, four, and five until we've taken the first step of faith. And then the Lord will lead us on to the second and on to the third. And we just need to follow God's will for our lives. We often hear preachers say that there are two types of people, the righteous and the unrighteous, the lost and the found, the godly and the ungodly, the saved and the lost. But in contrast, do you know there's two types of believers. There are those that want to, to use God as an ever-blessing machine. Sadly, churches are filled with them today. They want all the trappings of religion and faith. They pray for the blessing of God upon their lives. But there are those that just want to be in the will of God and be used of God. On one side, those that want to use the Lord. On the other side, those that want to be used of the Lord. 
Their only interest is for his glory to uplift and to exalt and to magnify the man of Calvary. Well, Ananias was in that latter group. He was just like Isaiah saying, Lord, here am I. Send me. A quiet Christian, living a surrendered life, a godly and an unassuming man living in the victory and was consecrated before the Lord. That's the type of believer. The introduction provided, there was a certain disciple. The instruction given, arise and go. Look at the illumination obtained in verse 12. It says that this man, Saul of Tarsus, hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Oh, even Saul knew, although he was in abstract darkness, although he was praying in the house of Judas, he knew the the name of the very man that God would send along. It says that he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Friends, this is a miracle. That Saul knew all that was about to take place before it ever happened. He'd been given a revelation of God. In fact, he knew the name of the man who would be instrumental. Do you know the irony was this? That Saul had come to Damascus to lay hands upon the likes of Ananias and to take him back to Jerusalem and to cast him into prison. But now in the great plan and in the great purpose of God, It's not Saul putting his hand on Ananias. It's Ananias who has to put his hand upon Saul. Now God's plan takes center stage. You know, sometimes we we think that we are doing the work of God and, and the will of God and really we're only appeasing our own plans and our own conscience. God wants to prove us in this world in which we live. He wants to to use us on a daily basis, but I, I wonder, are we prepared to become missionaries for him? Walking epistles, walking Bibles known and read of all men. He wants you, friend, to be his conscience in your workplace, in your school, in your university, in your college, in your neighborhood, in your nursing home. He wants you to be his illumination and his light in this world of gross darkness. The will of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God is for you to be involved with God 
on a daily basis. We are instructed to boast not ourselves of tomorrow, for we know not what tomorrow will bring forth. It's here and now that we need to serve him and get involved in his plan of reaching the lost for Christ. The introduction provided, the instruction given, the illumination obtained. Look at the trepidation experienced, verses 13 and 14. We read these words. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Oh, we can see the fear and the trepidation in the comments of Ananias. Can you see the alarm and the the apprehension that he displays, the uneasiness, the dread and the fear, the disquiet? He's anxious. He knows what this man, Saul, is capable of. He knows the mission that he's, he's currently on. It's like the Lord sending you or I right into the heart of the Middle East, right into the, uh, the very throne room of bin Laden or Saddam Hussein, and given us a, a command to preach Christ to them. That's just what it was like for Ananias. No wonder he was filled with fear. Remember, he's only a quiet man seeking to live a quiet life before God. And yet in spite of his alarm, when the Lord said go, he went. I want you to see the recommendation which he accepts. Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Oh, it makes all the difference, you know, when the Lord steps into our circumstances, when we can go forth in his authority and in his name makes all the difference when we have his word to rely upon and that's what Ananias had. It was the only thing that he had was the word of God in the vision for him to go. It transformed his outlook on life and it will transform yours and mine also. We can face those dark and difficult days We can face those troublesome times when we know we have the assurance of God's precious word and we're living our life in accordance to him. Look at something else in the verse. The Lord says that Saul is chosen by me 
He's going to be a witness for me. He's going to suffer for me. Says Ananias, it's not going to be a bed of roses as far as Saul is concerned. He's going to have to suffer hardship as a good soldier of the cross. What the Lord was saying to Ananias was this. I have a blueprint for his life. I'm going to take the life of this godless soul and I'm going to make him a blessing to the house of my people. Look at something else in the passage. For we move from trepidation and fear to consecration and acceptance. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hand upon him said, Brother Saul. Oh, here's, here's a believer. Here's a child of God who just accepts all that God was saying unto him. I'm going to use Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to bless Saul of Tarsus. I've chosen Saul of Tarsus. And he's going to be your brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Ananias got to the place where he just was saturated by the word of God in his life, he had no fear going in to the house of Judas and calling Saul his brother. The great C.H. Spurgeon, the tender age of 15, and with this we'll close, woke up one Sunday morning. He had a deep sense of concern for his soul. Whilst making his way to church, one Sunday morning, a terrible snowstorm began to whirl around him. So much so was the weather so fierce that he was forced to go down a, a wee side street and, and into a little primitive Methodist meeting in order to get out of the horrendous storm that day. Things were so bad, you know, with the weather that day that the preacher had not turned up for the meeting. And so a church deacon climbed up in the pulpit, never preached before. He was the only one willing to do it. He was unprepared. He had no message. He wasn't a preacher at all. But his text was Isaiah 45 verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. He just kept going back to that phrase. Look unto me and be ye saved. Then pointing down to Spurgeon in the pew, he said, young man, you look of all men most miserable. But God's word says, 
look unto him. And that day, Spurgeon was gloriously and wonderfully saved. The horrendous weather that day was all part of God's plan. The preacher that day who never turned up, it was all part of God's plan. The church deacon, he was part of God's plan. And Spurgeon and his salvation was part of God's plan. Child of God, if you're in the meeting today and you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, are you playing your part in his wonderful plan for your life? He wants you to take the glorious good news of the gospel to the streets of Belfast and tell men and women and boys and girls of Jesus, the mighty to save. I've overrun my time, but I trust that the Lord may, through his own word, through these ten verses given over to this quiet, quiet Christian, that he may light the touch paper in your life, and that the Lord himself may rain down righteousness upon you and I. Let's bow and close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee for these simple thoughts. We thank thee, Lord, that we often turn to Acts chapter 9 and, and we speak of the salvation of Paul and how Paul was used and, and how Paul saw that light from heaven that passed the brightness of the noonday sun and how he heard the voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Yet, Lord, we so often just quickly leaf over all that Ananias had to do in these ten verses. Had Ananias not obeyed the will of God in his life, then would Paul ever have seen the light of day again? Had he not have had the courage to go into this vile man and this wicked man and lay his hand upon him and say, Brother Saul, then where would this world in which we live, where would we ever have been? But Lord, we thank thee that we have the New Testament canon of Scripture written by inspiration of God by the hand of the great apostle who received light and newness of life. We pray, Lord, that thou wilt make of all of us an Ananias, even in this world in which we live. And grant, Lord, that we might seek to win the lost for Christ, that we might compel men and women to come in under the sound of the gospel in the glorious hope that the Lord will make bare his arm of salvation. We pray that thou will take us now to our homes in safety. Keep thy hand of blessing, goodness, and grace upon us. Bring us back for the gospel, ready to do thy work and to do thy will. For we ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen.